WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 176, all about the Silmarillion, Akalabeth, being the 176th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I'm joined once again by Fantasy Annex on TikTok. Welcome back, Annex. Hey, thanks for having me back to talk about this incredible chapter. I know. It's it's pretty uh it is pretty incredible when you're reading it and you're like, how how did this all happen? There's a mm-hmm. lot I think there's a lot of things they could have done to avoid this end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but things were slowly set in motion and it was inevitable by the end. Yes, yeah. I will try so hard to not um bring up rings of power throughout our conversation because this is about you know, this episode is about the Silmarillion and about Akalabeth, but I am very interested to see what the show is going to do with Numenor if they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Um, unless they have like specific rights to just the Akalabeth and of the Third Age and the Rings of Power. But from what I hear, they don't have any of those rights. So I'm interested to see how they're going to... It would be really cool to see all of this play out in the series. Um, but I don't know how they're going to do that if they don't have the rights. No, and we know that they've made a bunch of changes already. Some characters in the second half of the Akalabeth aren't in the show, so... It's going to be an in- interesting mishmash of stuff. Yes. Yeah. D- yeah, an interesting mishmash, I think, is a great way to, to <laughs> sum it up. <laughs> um, do you have, just r- real quick, do you have uh, you know, a few thoughts that you want to share about Rings of Power? Since um, we ha- I didn't have you on dur- during that time, so if there's something you wanted to share, be like, I hated it, or I loved it, or <laughs> I was in between. <laughs> um, I... I preferred the second half more than the first half. Well, I preferred like episode six and eight, I think were incredible. Um, episode mm. four was pretty great. Uh, I liked the ending, it seemed, uh, a lot more than some people seem to. Uh, I, but I really, really liked how the show wrapped up. Uh, and, and I think part of that was that I got to see, I got a very interesting experience that most people didn't get, which is that I saw episode eight in a theater with an audience. Oh, that's um, so cool. Yeah. So Empire was doing a screening as part of their podcast, and I got to see it with a group of nerds. And I think what what that showed me is that this is a show that absolutely should be seen as part of as with a community, because it really mm. changes the experience. Um, but yeah, so I loved episode eight, and I think six was obviously great. Um, yeah, I liked the show. I think there's a lot that could be improved, but overall, I thought it was a pretty good show. Yeah. Excited for season two. Yeah, very cool. Um, that's so awesome that you got to see a, a screening of it with other people. Because I think, I think you're very right that if I had not been the most enjoyable part of this of the first season for me was like getting to talk, like getting to talk and speculate with people in between mm-hmm. each episode and freak out over certain moments with each other and see you know other people's reactions. That's definitely like the I think the best part. For sure. Um, so that's yeah. so cool that they did a screening. I, I I hope that they'll like offer to do. Um, I hope more people will be able to attend more of those in the future. I don't know. That would be really cool to do. Hopefully, yeah. It was really nice, you know, because we saw that episode, and then afterwards, there was about a hundred of us maybe 
Uh, and then we all went to left the reception area and we were all talking about the episodes, going back in and talking about it. And then some, and then people like split off in groups. And, you know, um, I was with a couple of friends and then a couple of random strangers. And we, you know, went off to get some drinks and talk about the episode. And so it was just a very great communal experience. And that's definitely what was more fun about the season. Like the, having those discussions on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, it's a lot more fun in person. Yeah, I was thinking um, today about, I was like, oh, it might be nice for me one day to do an episode where I just have people share like, what does Tolkien mean to you? And I was thinking about like what it means to me. And it definitely it means community. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Because that's kind of at the root of what Tolkien wrote in Lord of the Rings is like the fellowship and like supporting each other and like you can't do this alone like Frodo needed his Sam to do Mm -hmm. this and and so like that's what makes all of this so wonderful is that like you can't I mean you can watch and read all of this alone but I think it definitely heightens the experience when you get to enjoy it with other people or in my case when I'm reading the Silmarillion and I am just saying I don't know what's going on I hate this book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just want it to be done. And then other people come on and defend it. So <laughs> uh, so that being said, yeah, let's let's jump into and finish up the Akalabeth. Spoiler alert, but also not spoiler alert, the downfall of Numenor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where we last, you know, previously on Akalabeth, Farazan had just stolen the throne, essentially, from Miriel, forced her hand in marriage, and changed her name. So, off to a great start. Then he becomes, obviously, I think we can imagine this, that he he becomes very power hungry, very determined to like do things his own way. Um, where is it? I think at some point it says that like, he decided without the council of the Valar and without the council of anyone else. Yeah. And that like, just kind of made me laugh that... <laughs> He's doing all this on his own and not even talking to like advisors or he's like, no, I know Mm -hmm. what I'm doing. (laughs) No, but it also makes a point that he's doing stuff on his own, but he is the strongest king of Numenor that has been really since the first one. Right. It makes, yeah, it makes the point that he's the mightiest and proudest of all kings. He's proud, but he's also strong. So he's doing stuff on his own, but he's kind of justified in that he's, he's the strongest and he knows it. Yeah. There's no stopping someone who's in a position of power and they know that like they're the best at it so far mm-hmm. that they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm the best Numenor has ever seen. Yeah. Um, oh, and worth mentioning if you're wondering like how far along are we into Numenor's history at this point, Farazan is now the, I think he's the 25th King mm-hmm. and keeping in mind that their Kings have lived anywhere from 200 to 500 years, you know, it's been a while, so it's yeah. not like, oh, this is a brand new, you know, city or kingdom that just was founded. Like, they've been around for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been... Obviously nothing compared well, to the elves. <laughs> no, no, I think it's been well over 3,000 years at this point, probably. Because I think the Second Age lasts for like 3,500 years. Um, mm. And so and this is towards the end of that. So this is well 3,000 years of Numenor at this point. 
Yeah. So theoretically, they should have a lot of like, they have a lot of history under their belt, a lot of, you know, it's pretty solid foundation. So I'm in the uh, in the camp of like, there's a lot of things that they could have done to avoid what happens. But but we'll we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Also, so, so meanwhile, over in Middle Earth, of course, we know Sauron is still there. He's rising in power. Um, and he's like, you know, ready to throw hands. And he's like, let's go. I, I want to do my thing now. Melkor had his chance and look how that went. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Farazan, so this is one of the things that he's like not taking other people's counsel about, I believe. Um, he decides that he's going to defeat evil and Sauron, essentially. And he goes over to Middle Earth and basically like plops down his throne on a hill and is like, <laughs> well, I'm the king now. He tends to do Everyone that a lot. Everyone come worship me. <laughs> yeah. He it's you know, he does it a few times in the second half of just shows up at a place and goes, This is my place now. Everyone yeah. else bow before me. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he he commands, he um calls for Sauron to come and swear his fealty to him. And Sauron does come to him. And he swears his fealty and, you know, bows down, worships him, whatever, because he is aware, he is now aware that, oh, the Numenorians, they have like, they, they've spent, you know, like you said, 3,000 years building up their their crafts, their their weapons, Farazhan especially under his um, Rain has been like building up like an armory. So they're a pretty big, you know, fleet of mariner like soldiers, essentially. Mm-hmm. And Sauron's yeah. like, oh, maybe I maybe I can't win right now. So I'll bide my time and eventually I'll win things over. Mm-hmm. He uses cunning rather than because he knows he can't yeah. win with straight power. Yeah. yeah. It's just- so cool seeing the like because like we know Sauron is crafty and it's so cool to see that like playing out here mm-hmm. and it also makes me think seeing how we see Gondor and like the kingdoms of the west um, in Lord of the Rings and then we see how easily Sauron goes against them and then if you, if you then imagine how strong Numenor must have been that Sauron looked at it and was like I can't defeat these people like how strong yeah. how great they must have been yeah and it's, it's very and also, tragic like, how, yeah and just showing like how far they fell mm-hmm. in in that same in that same swoop you know of like wow they were so strong that even sauron realized he couldn't defeat them yeah and then seeing how much they had to lose afterwards mm-hmm. um pretty pretty epic scale so yeah Farazan he's commanded sauron to come and and swear his fealty to him and he does that but Farazan is like mm, i don't believe you <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to take you hostage. And he brings him back to Numenor. And I'm like, dude, why would you do that? That just seems like the worst possible move. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I, I, on one hand, I get it. Because it's like you want to you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Mm-hmm. But like, dude, not a good move. <laughs> it's, it's interesting how it's described, isn't it? That like Farazon knows that Sauron is trying to trick him. And so he's like, I will bring you back to my house. So that you can't trick me. Yes. And then that completely backfires. <laughs> <laughs> it's so 
it, like obviously you know us as the reader as the outsider we're like you guys are so stupid can't you see what he's doing to you like it's so obvious to us but mm-hmm. again that's just you know the craftiness of sauron that he is able to um, manipulate everyone to to such an extent that all of this happens. Mm-hmm. They go back to Numenor with Sauron and they keep him, you know, imprisoned, I guess. And for a while, he's again, he's, you know, a master manipulator and he is working to to get under he's getting under Farazan's skin about like Oh, I think you you're way more powerful than the Valar. Um like what do you, what do they know? Like you, you you I think you could easily defeat them if you had the help of I think he says the the Lord of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh Farazan is like, "Who's that?" <laughs> and Sauron's like, yeah. "Let me introduce you to my good friend Melkor." <laughs> Have you heard of our Lord and Savior Melkor? Yes, yes, that's exactly what it feels like. Yes. <laughs> like Sauron's um, uh, a Mormon yeah. knocking on his door. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard the good word today? <laughs> um. So yeah. So then Farazan is introduced to Melkor, and he starts worshiping him in secret, and then slowly it kind of like trickles out from there to where pretty much everyone in Numenor is now. Um. They. I think they they don't necessarily know the extent to which like l- l- understand the the hugeness that was Melkor because they weren't alive when all of that was happening and they're just hearing about Melkor through Sauron. So I get the impression that they don't fully understand that they're like worshiping, you know, essentially Satan. Mm-hmm. They just think that this is their way to gain more power and get a leg up over the Valar and that this is like the way to the future that they want is through like, oh, the Valar, they did nothing for us. But here's this other guy who's coming around saying, hey, I can help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you heard about our Lord yeah. and Savior, Melkor? <laughs> and he also he also basically tells them that like the Valar don't actually have power and they just made up Eru. Like Eru doesn't exist. It's Melkor who made the world and Melkor can make another one if he wants. Um, and you can, I, I, I mean, I would have thought that the elves would tell them about Melkor, but it's been like a thousand years since, uh, since the elves have left them. So yeah, the elves, they, they've yeah. forgotten about who they were actually fighting in the previous age. Yeah. It's definitely something that like, as Jenner, you know, when, when Numenor was first founded, obviously, you know, obviously Elros knows exactly who Melkor is, but mm-hmm. as you know, these thousands of years of generations, um, are growing up and they're moving further away from the elves, those, you know, original stories and firsthand accounts of what they were fighting against kind of peter off and they're not telling their, you know, children anymore or they're like, oh, no, that's just a story crazy grandpa was yeah. telling us. <laughs> I don't know how mm-hmm. true it is anymore. Mm-hmm. And with so much distance from what, they from what their you know founding fathers essentially experienced it's so easy to be like i don't i don't think i know like our i don't think i understand our our history anymore i don't know what's true and what isn't and here's this guy telling us 
to try something different because yeah. what we've been doing isn't working out the way that we want it to. So let's mm-hmm. try something else. Yeah. You know, this is a really hot guy. He's very charismatic. He's very well-spoken. Yes. And he's telling us about this new guy who could we could follow. And the new guy will yeah. make us live forever. And it's all great. So why not? Let's just give that a go for a bit. And let's sacrifice some humans. Yeah. Weirdly yeah. enough, he looks a lot like um, the character Halbrand from <laughs> Rings of Power. Yeah. Don't know what that's about. <laughs> Yeah, this guy used to be a blacksmith, right? Wasn't he working in the smithy yeah. for a bit? I so like complete side note about Rings of Power. I, I've already, I think I've probably ranted for like a full episode's worth just about the whole Halbrand Sauron thing because mm-hmm. I was I was really mad that they decided to do that because I thought it was such an obvious choice that I was like, oh no, it can't be that. It's got to be something else. No, but I so, think I was okay with it because I I I was. Um, I was fully on. I think I guessed that Halbrand is Sauron before the first episode. When when we knew that the Galadriel meets is a random person in the sea, I was like, See, that, oh, that's, that's what was making me so that's bad Sauron. about yeah. it. <laughs> I was like, people have been yeah. guessing it's him since even before the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's no way it's him. And then it was. Um, and so like now reading this, and again, this is what's so confusing about like what they do and don't have rights to. Because when you're reading this and you're reading about like oh yeah Sauron was a smith and he uh went to um he he is in Numenor and he becomes like their captive and like reading all of that and then seeing what unfolds in the show I 100% understand why everyone is so was so convinced that Halbrand was Sauron and Mm -hmm. you ended up being correct yeah again it makes me so mad (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's interesting uh, because it, it makes a point, right, that when, like, Sauron first gets taken as a captive to Numenor, he's, like, blown away by the city. And we already kind of saw that in the show when Halbrand shows up and he's blown away by the city. So, yeah. like, a lot of things that happen after he's taken captive has already happened. So it's it's yeah. interesting, yeah. Yeah, like, the all of the little breadcrumb, you know, the breadcrumb trail to leading to Halbrand is Sauron. Those, those crumbs were there mm-hmm. from from this this source material even mm-hmm. though it is a little bit um wonky with like the timeline of things for example um there is a man named Amandil who is good friends with King Farazan and i was like Amandil that's i'm like that's an interesting name why have i never heard that before but like it sounds really familiar and then it says like and his son Elendil and i was like oh yeah. that's why <laughs> they cut off they cut a generation out yeah so that's something yeah. that like in the show is where like the timeline is getting weird because um <clears throat> Elendil is he, I mean he's not friends with Farazan, but like at this point, like his dad would be alive and would mm-hmm. be friends with Farazan, and you would start seeing this separation between them happening and seeing that play out. But yeah, again, with the way that like they had to do certain things with with the timeline in the show, um, they they cut him out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, do, 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 do. oh yeah, so. So his friend Amandil, who he like previously, you know, looked to as a, a confidant, a, an advisor, someone to help guide him. And Amandil sees this this turn in Farazan, and he's like, "This is not what <laughs> we mm-hmm. we set out to do here. This is not why why Numenor was founded. I think things are going south quickly." Yeah, I think it's a bit like. 
He had a friend, Farazan, who used to say some wild things in the past. And he's like, oh, that's just Farazan. And then he becomes king yeah. and actually starts doing that things. And he's like, oh, 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 no. Okay. I need to step away from yeah. this guy. <laughs> he's, he's crazy. He's like, crazy. Oh, we need to take this seriously now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> these, these aren't just words. This dude has power. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. dangerous at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um. So he packs up all of, like his family, you know, Elendil, his son, his grandson, Isildur. These names sound very familiar, I hope, everyone. Um, and uh, they go and oh, also like, I think it's the throwaway other son, Anar- Anarion, who yeah. is only mentioned in... Um, in Rings of Power, and it's kind of like the obscure brother who like sailed off to try to find the Valar, and then he just disappeared. I don't know. We might see more of that later mm-hmm. on. Who knows? Yeah, they all all get packed up, and they go to um, with the rest of the quote unquote faithful, the the elf friends. They go to Rome- Romana, which I clearly was not paying attention earlier because I read this and I was like, I don't know where that is. I'm assuming it's a little island, maybe off of. Numenor. Um, what what is this place? Uh, Romena. I I want to say it's not a separate island because Numenor is only one island. Um, oh, there is okay. only one land. I believe Romena is further to the west. Um, okay. I, I, don't, I don't remember if it's exactly a city or just the name of the region, but it's further to the west, which is where Amandil's sort of ancestral homeland is. Um, they were the lords of that region. West, so closer to. I was, yeah, I was. Did you see me drawing (laughs) the compass in my Mm -hmm. head? (laughs) Yeah. So west, so yeah, it's Mm -hmm. um, Andunia that, and Andunia, I believe, is the region. Romena might be the city. Uh, One or the other. Yeah. But it's further west. It's it's not a separate island. It's on the island, but it's on the island of Numenor, but further west. Okay, got it. Um. So so all of the the elf friends leave, and I think this is this is a huge. This makes a huge impact on what is happening in in Numenor and you know the main city, whatever the kingdom, um, because anyone who could have been there to try and draw Farazan back or you know stop things is now gone. Like any voice of reason is not there anymore to try and stop them in the you know immediate area. So Sauron tells Farazan to cut down the white tree. And you know this is a big deal because Tolkien loves trees. Mm-hmm. You can't cut trees down. Um, also, um, Romana is the east. Sorry, I got that mixed the wrong way around. Oh, okay. Romana is the no eastern problem. port, not the western. So the side that's closer to Middle-earth. Okay. Yeah. That also makes sense com- considering they have to... Same Go, that oh, way. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> well, for honestly, later I was in the like, show. oh no, that makes sense. If they, if they were, if these are the group of people that are most loyal to, you know, the elves, mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would be on the most western part of the island to try and mm-hmm. be as close as possible. So, like, that makes sense too. Anyway, potato, potato. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're they're separated from their homeland from the is in the west. Their homeland, Andunia, is in the west, closer to the Valar. But the Romena, the place they go to, where they all escape to, okay. is in the east. Okay, yeah. got it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was all very confusing because there's no map. Um, the only map in the back of the book is of Beleriand. And we know how I feel about maps. <laughs> um, but oh, wait, I actually just no... could have just looked up a map here. I do have a map in my version. Um, yeah, there. Uh, I was like, there needs to be a, a map of, um, like, 
the sundering seas and I earlier on when we were mostly in like in the beginning of the Silmarillion when a lot of stuff was happening in Valinor I desperately needed a map of Valinor because I'm like I don't know where we are mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm think, like are uh, we north <laughs> west south I don't know <laughs> maps of Valinor is uh very vague but yeah Romana is um so their homeland is Antunia which is far to the west so um our metal loss is sort of in the center, slightly off-center. Um, and Dunia, their region, homeland, very far to the west of the island, the extreme end of the island. Mm-hmm. Um, Ramena is sort of much closer. It's maybe like, if you look at the scale, like 50, 60 miles away from our metal loss. It's sort of just a city 60 miles east. So they basically left the capital, but not too far away. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so so word travels that the the king is... Being, t- he's not like immediately, you know. Oh, Sauron said I should cut down the tree. Let me go do that. He does like pause for a moment and and think about it, and long enough that word travels that he's considering cutting down this tree. Um, and Isildur goes and sneaks back into the courtyard where the tree is, and he takes a fruit from the tree. And this is where my brain starts connecting dots that were drawn when I was like, re- you know, like three years ago when I was reading, you know, Fellowship and mm-hmm. and Return of the King and everything. And then they're talking about this tree and Gondor. And I'm yeah. like, what's the deal with this tree? Why is it so important? And everyone was like, oh, well, it has this long history. That go- and I'm like, I don't really... At this point, you've lost me. Like, mm-hmm. this is insane history to have for a tree. But now the dots are finally connecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he steals a fruit. He gets a little bit injured on the way out by some of the guards. And he's, like, dying. But he goes back to um, Romana. And they plant the tree. And it, like, immediately, like, heals him. Um, and... Yeah, this tree is very important, and not long after this happens, Farazan and Sauron cut down the white tree in Numenor in the capital. So I, I kind of, I want to ask you a question about how what how you yes. interpret this. Do you think that um, Farazan cut down the tree because of what Isildur did, or was Farazan going to cut it down anyway? Was what was Isildur did sort of like a push of like? Oh, yeah. like the faithful are still trying to protect it. In that case, I will cut it down now. Because, or if Isildur hadn't done that, would Farazon have never cut the tree down, do you think? I think, I think either way, I think he would have cut down the tree eventually. Like, I think, so, I think we've seen so much manipulation from Sauron. Like, he was, remember everyone, he came into Numenor as their captive. And this is just what, like, blew my mind. I was like, it's not like, it's not like in Rings of Power where he's in disguise and he's, you know, this really hot guy, <laughs> mysterious guy mm-hmm. who refuses to talk about his past. That Like, they know this is Sauron. And so when he's, like, manipulating them, I'm like, how do you, like, you know you're talking to the devil. How mm-hmm. do you let him manipulate you? Anyway, but again, that shows, like, the power of his craftiness. So I think if he can go from starting as their captive to being, like, the king's advisor... And flipping essentially the entirety of Numenor to worship Melkor, I think he would have eventually convinced Farazan on his own to cut down the tree. Mm-hmm. But I do think this, you know, I think Farazan was on the fence 
and then this happened and he was like, oh, that's right. This like this tree is so important to the faithful that I'm going to cut it down. Like, oh, oh, this is a this is such an important symbol to them that I don't want to be associated with it anymore. Mm -hmm. So let's cut it down. Yeah. So Isildur sort of sped it up a little, made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so good job, Isildur. <laughs> <laughs> he did not, good the, stuff. not the worst thing he's going to do, so No, no Isildur did fine. some good things before he kept the ring. But before that, yeah. <laughs> he was a good guy. Yeah. Um, oh, also, um, just like going back just a little bit, the reason Farazhan was so hesitant to chop it down is because the king before him had prophesied that when the tree falls or dies or the last petals fall whatever it was that would signify the end of Numenor and Farazhan for as far as Sauron has taken him away from their original roots and stuff Farazhan is still like oh this is a sign of my of my power as king and if we chop this down then that's going to mean that maybe I'm not going to be in, in power anymore. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's a, it's not so much that he, uh, pr that he like revered the tree because it was a gift from the elves. It was to him a sign of, you know, his power. Mm -hmm. Of course, like they chop down the tree, events follow. So like it ends up all being true anyway, but that probably would have happened regardless of whether or not they chopped down that tree. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's pro prophecies are interesting because it's it's not exactly mm. cutting the tree down that makes it happen because the tree was long gone anyway. It's been fading and dying for years. Yeah. But it's a, the cutting the tree down is a sign that things are going to happen. Yeah, it's a huge sign. So um, then what happens? They build us a temple for Satan <laughs> and start work, you know, sacrificing people. That's right. Yeah. They just straight up start murdering each other. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's this is really bad now. Yeah, it <laughs> says, and men took weapons in those days and slew one another for little cause. Because at first it started out as like sacrifice and then it just devolved from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, once you take the step to human sacrifice, it's not. Yeah. There's not too many What's steps. What's one more there? murder? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Then they decide that they're going to go back into Middle-earth. And it says they came no longer as the bringer of gifts, nor even as rulers, but as fierce men of war. So they're just, you know, they've already moved from like, oh, we're coming to Middle-earth to meet the rest of our kin. And we're going to share our knowledge with you so that you can also prosper and then it went into, hey, actually, we're going to come and take advantage of you and your weaker state and your vulnerabilities. And we're going to take your resources mm -hmm. and your land. And then now they're like, we're going to fight. Yeah. <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> full on conquering. And I think later it says um, the ships that they used to sail to Valinor um, were rowed by slaves. And so I think you can assume that they came to Middle Earth and just took people and was like, we're going to take you captive and we need labor. And they became mm, yeah. full on evil colonizers at that point. Yes, yeah. yeah. So we've got we've we've you know it's the everyone uh, on TikTok makes so many jokes about like the you know blank to blank pipeline. It's like the I don't know Numenor to co conqueror pipeline mm -hmm. right here. Yes. <laughs> However, it mentions you know even though Farazan is the king, um, 
it is Sauron who is who is pulling the strings and is manipulating him, and he is the real power behind the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he kind of like pushes Farazan one more step and is like, "Man, the Valar really suck. Like they are awful. They're just over there. They have the best of the best, and they're just like okay with you guys suffering." And I don't think you're a good king unless you're going to try and go and step up to them. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think if you're, you know, if you were really a good king, you would take what they have and and give it to your kingdom. Mm-hmm. Farazan's like, you're right. <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, it's, and it's fun. It's, it's cool, isn't it? How he waits. Sauron makes him do all of these things and then waits until Farazan is old. And he's like. As he's about to die, he's like, hey, you want to live forever? Because I see that you're dying. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I know just how to make you live forever. There's this, there's this land that's called the Undying Lands. You want to go and take it over and then you can be undying. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, legit, of course. Yeah, I'll do, let's do that. Meanwhile, the the faithful Amandil and Elendil and Isildur, those people are hearing these rumors of of war and they're like ah this is not great and i think it's a huge sign that they still care enough about you know their their people that amandil is like i want to try and prevent this i don't want to see them because they they're they're like they're not going to win against mm-hmm. the valar mm-hmm. they're obviously going no. to get slaughtered mm-hmm. <laughs> um so let me try and save them I'm going to do what our forefather Elendil, no, Erendil, yeah, Erendil. Yeah. <laughs> Too many names. There's, there's a lot of e names. Ah, there's a lot of oh deals in it. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to pull an Erendil and I'm going to go over. I'm going to try to find Valinor and I'm going to plead with the Valar. Um, in case I don't come back, in case something happens, just don't get involved in the mm-hmm. war. Just stay out of it because nothing good is going to come of it. So he gets on his ship and he goes off. Um, but it mentions that he and the um, people that he was with, were they? They weren't his slaves that went no, with him, I think right? It was, just it was just like other... Him and three other friends, basically. Him and three okay, of his like, cool. servants or friends or something. They went okay, and they cool. were never so, heard of So they're, they're not into slavery. That's no, good. no. Always want to double check that. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so they they sail off, um, and they are never to be seen from again. And it says men could not a second time be saved by any such embassy, and for the treason of Numenor, there was no easy absolving. So Tolkien's saying here, you know, the same like you're not going to save your butts mm-hmm. the same way twice. Yeah, you can't you just gotta, keep showing you up. Got to figure it out again. this time. Yeah. That, that was one trick. It worked once because Arendelle is so awesome. Um, and he came with, um, you know, Elwing and the Silmaril. That's going to work once, but not twice. Yeah. So I've never, th- this is, I-, I promise this is all connecting. Um, I've never read any of the Narnia books, but mm-hmm. I know that in one of the movies, um, Aslan says to Lucy, like, this, because she she goes to find him and is like, can't you like come and save us and help us? And he says, like the same thing cannot happen twice. And so I wonder if like this was something that Tolkien saw Lewis write and was like, that sounds pretty cool. I think I might do that sometime. <laughs> Maybe yeah, we know that they were talking about each other's stories a lot. So 
Yeah. yeah, just like a little connection that I saw between the two. Yeah, Elendil and Isildur and everyone, they're like, well, they are gone. Um, we have not heard from them or seen from them. Obviously, like the Valar are not going to come and save us. So they like get on their ships and they start heading out to Middle Earth. Uh, no, at this correct? point, at this point, they're still on the island. Um, okay, they're still there. But they're just preparing in case something happens. They're just boarding okay. their ship with stuff and they're just like... In case something happens, we're just ready. Just in case. Yeah. Just in case. We're still going to mm-hmm. keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. And then uh, Numenor starts being attacked. Um, they have... T- it mentions that the weather was usually in their favor, depending on what they needed. That when they needed rain for their crops, there was plenty of rain. When they needed sunshine, when they needed nice weather, it was always like whatever they needed. But now climate change is getting them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, so they're having terrible like storms and then the eagles start coming and they're like shooting them with lightning and thunder, which makes me wonder. I'm like, why couldn't you guys do that at any other point when you guys show up to say, I feel like whenever we see them in like the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, they're just big birds, but like here they're full of wrath and it's, it's really cool, but also like, why can't you do that? whenever else you're battling <laughs> i think it's they say eagles but eagles are supposed to be like the birds of manwe so i think the giant eagles in lord of the rings are like big eagles they can talk i i think these are just like power shaped like eagles i don't i don't okay. it's up to interpretation but i don't think these are actually eagles because uh, if they are eagles shooting lightning and storms from their wings is the coolest imagery yes it's very yeah. cool yeah Oh, it, it mentions that this is a war against the deathless. And I'm like, that's pretty metal. <laughs> like, like yeah. even that, like, Farazhan, you're dumb. This is terrible. You're going to fail. Mm-hmm. But, like, a war against the deathless. That sounds pretty cool to me. That, that is as an a awesome spectator. name. But also, it's in the name that you can't win. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's, that's why it's so, it, it's entertaining for us to read. Because it's like, well, at least I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that yeah so Numenor is being attacked relentlessly then they are like fine we're gonna come to you and they get on their fleets and they start moving towards into the west I think only like one boat makes it or uh to the the land um or a land and they step off because it mentions that like only a few of the Numenorians like set foot on Valinor and that's like the last straw for Manwe and everyone. Yeah, Manwe sees the Numenorians coming for him. One of them has made it onto the land already. And he's like, well, goodbye. This, mm-hmm. is, the, this is the last time you'll ever see us. Yeah. Um, and he calls upon Iluvatar. And it says, Iluvatar showed forth his power and changed the fashion of the world. And a great chasm opened in the sea between Numenor and the Deathless Lands. Again, the Deathless Lands. So, like, they they could not win here. No, the waters <laughs> flowed down into it, and the noise and smoke of the cataracts went up to the heaven, and the world was shaken. And all the fleets of the Numenorians were drawn down into the abyss, and they were drowned and swallowed up forever. It mentions that, yeah, King Farazan and the warriors that set foot on the land of Amon, they lie imprisoned in the caves of the Forgotten. That's intense stuff mm-hmm. right there. <laughs> I, I sometimes forget that, yeah, Farazan isn't really 
dead. I don't know. It's implied that he's not. He might not be dead. He's just imprisoned forever in that thing until the world ends. Yeah, I think so, it's kind yeah. of. Um, I interpret it as like a a thing where like he's in purgatory like his soul probably maybe. like maybe his his body is probably crushed and is in and is no more mm-hmm. but he probably is in a state of of purgatory and being trapped yeah until the last battle on the day of doom yeah mm-hmm. well, i pictured it if you if you've seen uh, doctor who um I have not, but go ahead because I'm sure there's, many of the listeners have. There's uh, in David Tennant's era. There's a, a two-part episode called Family of Blood, where it's about this family of this like weird aliens who are seeking mortality, um, and they kill a bunch of people to try and gain it. Um, and in the end, the Doctor punishes them. Uh, it's one of his. It's one of the moments where the Doctor is at his darkest, and he punishes them by giving them immortality, but not in the way they wanted. Like he throws the. Mm father into the center of like a dying neutron star and makes him live forever um and he like traps the daughter in like a mirror so she lives forever there so it's yeah it's like giving them immortality so i almost picture it as very dark but like giving farazon immortality but not in the way that he wanted it's like you'll be immortal and you'll be trapped here forever and it's very very i love that that's so cool yeah i mean not cool for farazon but that's cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a really cool yeah like oh you wanted you wanted to live forever? You d- you didn't want to die ever? Okay, we'll give that to you. Mm-hmm. You're trapped in the caves of the forgotten. No one's going to remember you. This is when Middle Earth essentially becomes what we see it as in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, where Valinor is not on the same plane of existence that, you know, Gondor and the Shire and everything are. Mm-hmm. And this is like where a lot of my confusion came from, where Beleriand, I was like, wait a minute, so is Beleriand like where the Shire is? And so the the destruction and everything, the, the consequences of ripping Valinor essentially off of this plane, and I say plane because at this point it is flat, um, the consequences of that ripple over. Numenor is pulled down under the sea. Everyone there is drowned and destroyed. The waters wash over Beleriand and make the the ocean come up to the point on the shore that we see like Frodo go to um, and Bilbo at the end of Return of the King. So uh, there, there is a couple things I think I should... Uh clarify that. Oh, I got so, all that wrong. <laughs> so, well, so the Valinor thing is true. So it used to be flat. Valinor was in the far west of the world and it was the boundary between the world and the void beyond. Um, so Lubidar took Valinor off the planet um, uh, and then, so Beleriand was already sunken at this point. Beleriand was gone already. Beleriand sank at the end of the first age uh, because all of the stories in the first age happened in Beleriand. And the war and the war against Morgoth destroyed that place already. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> yeah. So Valerian was gone and then... Okay, so, so yeah. forget... Oh, no, no, you're right. I remember this. Mm-hmm. The problem is just that I read that two months ago. Yeah, it's fair enough. No. And then, okay, that's right. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. And then in this process, also, Middle Earth is now become round. Mm-hmm. Um. And they're no longer flat earthers. <laughs> yeah. He basically took Valinor off and replaced it with, if we're doing our, our world equivalent, then he yeah took Valinor off and replaced it with the Americas. 
he put a different continent <laughs> there. So when it says that the Numenorians, once they sail west, they just eventually end up in a different continent that's just like theirs, and then they'll eventually come back around. Yeah. But yeah, essentially <laughs> It's like the opposite. No, it's exactly what happened with Colum- with Christopher Columbus and how he thought the world was flat and that he was just gonna like fall off one side and mm-hmm. land on yeah. the other. Yeah. This is one this is one of my this is one of the moments in the film really that always hits me of no matter like how terrible Numenor and was was at the end of its days, you know, sacrificing people and all the violence, like in that bit when he reads when he lists like uh, Numenor went down into the sea and with it with all its children and its wives and its maidens, mm. its tombs and its riches its jewels, its webs, its things of painted and carven, its laughter and its mirth and its music and its wisdom and its law. They vanished forever. Like, so many things, they just yeah. were gone. And it, it just almost, it almost makes, makes me nostalgic because you read the pages before and it makes me nostalgic for this 3,000 year old civilization that just vanished. And with gone it, you lost flash, everything. Yeah. 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 It's, um, it's real intense and definitely shows that the Valar and Iluvatar, they're not, they're like, yeah. we're done messing mm-hmm. around. We're, yeah. we're, we're done with you. Mm-hmm. This has been really annoying. Um, bye. Yeah. You, <laughs> bye you, forever. You know, literally turned into Satan worshippers at the end. No, this is it. Yeah. It's over for you. Except, um, for, for Elendil and his family and those other, uh, faithful people, they are safe. Because this is, I can't help just thinking about like Tolkien's um, upbringing and, and relationship with like religion and everything, because this just reads to me like, you know, the, like in the Bible, like the apocalypse has happened. What do they call, what do they call it in the Bible? I don't remember. Yeah, no, no, no one's story. Um, that's, that's what it reminds yeah, me that, of. Yeah, that too. But um in um in revelations it wow. says that there's going to come a time when like fire and like every like everything is going to rain down upon the earth and only the people who are following god and are saved by jesus are going to be are going to be saved and are going to remain safe from all of this and it, it reads very much like that to me when this is happening where it's like oh the the people who went against the valar and the people who went against the elves and turned their backs on on those beliefs they all died horrifically with the ending of the world essentially mm-hmm. um but the people who who still loved the elves they were safe. They were okay because they are still followers of of God. Mm-hmm. It's very there's a lot of religious, yeah. It's Tolkien's Catholicism definitely coming. Yes, through. yeah. They're saved and they, you know, end up in. Do they end up in Middle Earth? Yes, they yeah. go. They go to Middle Earth, obviously, because mm-hmm. they have to do things that lead to Aragorn mm-hmm. <laughs> being the king of Gondor eventually, thousands I, of years later. <laughs> I also want to jump back slight bit uh yes, please jump it's, in it's a it's a very small it's just a couple sentences but and this is when it comes to rings of power i think the show is doing really well is uh the role of muriel in numenor because it like mm, yeah. the last time we heard about her is that she got forcibly married to Farazon, and there's nothing else about her until right at yeah. the end when we get told that she like, desperately tried she to climb died. yeah she tried to climb to the top of menel and to save herself and didn't make it uh yeah but the waters overtook her and she died. She yeah. died too. It's the last time she's and, and it's a I think there's really cool art, artwork of it of Miriel on her own trying to run up as she sees the waves coming to like run up the mountain. 
um, and just being drowned. And it's, yeah, it's a really poignant imagery. But there's nothing yeah. about her in between. About like she gets married, nothing else about her than right to the end. And then she dies. Yeah, yeah. she died. Because that's that's the only things that you ever need to hear about women. Mm-hmm. When yeah. when do they get married and when do they die? Mm-hmm. And maybe when do they have babies? Those yes. are the only things that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it, it is interesting reading this after Rings of Power because seeing that like oh Muriel had like essentially no role in anything other mm-hmm. than like the throne being stolen from her mm-hmm. um and, and then it's great to see um that she is much more of a fleshed out character in yeah. the series yeah. um with a really wonderful actress too mm-hmm. so like that's really but um I, I was speculating with um my previous guest about how they're going to get to this point with Muriel's character in the show where, you know, Farazan is taking things over. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he kills her in the show. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, um, but again, they don't have rights to any of this. No, so how are, they gonna no. do, how are they going to do it? Um, but it, it's just interesting to think about like, oh, well, how are they going to play all of this out in the show if Muriel is a much more active role in Numenor than she was in in Akalabeth in mm-hmm. the Silmarillion. Um so how are we going to get to the point where Numenor falls falls so drastically when Miriel is seemingly very um I think she's a great ruler from what I've seen so far. It seems mm-hmm. like she really cares about her people and is like really trying to do things with a level head. Um I think so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, for sure. I think they're going to have to take a lot more extra steps, but it could be a sense of sort of like, I think while they were away in Middle-earth, I think we'll find out in season two that Barazon has been playing some games in Numenor, yeah. consolidating his power. And, you know, she comes back with like a third of the army, like two thirds of the army are dead. Like Sauron has like, they're, they're defeated and she comes back and, you know, Barazon makes a point of like, yeah, she can't lead anymore. She doesn't know what she's doing. And sort mm. of takes over slowly like that, maybe, rather than just an outright marries her and takes over. Because, yeah, I think it's a different vibe between them in the show compared to the story. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to see um, I'd love to see Sauron come back to Numenor, but in a different form <laughs> and just like try it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, OK, that didn't work the first time. Take mm-hmm. two. <laughs> yeah. Halbrand? Who's Halbrand? Never heard of him. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Who's that? I don't know. It does mention that this um, temple that they had built, it was so high that there was this like legend or rumor that even though Numenor had sunk, that that was like a singular little island left over. And so there are some Numenorians left that are like, maybe we can go find it. Like maybe we can go find and see what was left. But I think that's all it is to them is just this like story or legend um, mm-hmm. and that like no one is ever going to be successful trying to find um, the remains of Numenor because there are none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all gone. Oh, that's right. What's happened? Yeah. So what's happened to Sauron and all of this, guys? Um, he is, you know, like obviously like drowned and killed just like everyone else. But his spirit arose out of the deep and passed as a shadow and a black wind over the seas and came back to Middle Earth and to Mordor. That was his home. I don't know if this is... So it says, there he took up again his great ring in Barad-dur. Does it mean... It doesn't mean the ring right here, does it? Or is it just like looking forward? 
I think it does because um no yeah it definitely does mean his ring because at this point the ring has been crafted. Okay. Uh, oh it ha- okay. I yeah. guess we'll get to that in the next. The part, next chapter is yeah. of the rings of hell, but this is happening. Um, so the rings get crafted around the middle of the second age, around like a thousand six hundred. This is all happening okay. in like after the year three thousand. So the rings have been around for over a century, over a millennia and a half at this point. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. So he's had the rings for a while. He made the rings. Um, and then build up Mordor and then was just basically chilling there for a while uh, building up his power but yeah so and you can assume that he left his one ring back in Mordor which is interesting that Sauron left the ring when he came to uh, Numenor but yeah he then went back to his ring maybe he knew that like something bad was going to happen in Numenor and he's like maybe I'll leave this here keep this Mm -hmm. for safekeeping back home yeah Maybe leaving the ring is what kept him alive. It's it kept his spirit alive, so then there was something to go back to. Oh yeah, but, yeah, that's true too. Yeah, but you'll find out all about that. Yes, gonna go learn about more that about that, that next, for sure. <laughs> next chapter, yeah, of the Rings of Power. Yeah, and he he goes to Mordor, and it just says that he he wrought himself a new guise, an image of malice and hatred made visible, and the eye of Sauron the terrible few could endure so he is now at this point the eye of sauron rather than halbrand <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah so he although it's uh the eye the eye of sauron i think peter jackson took some um yeah i was gonna say yeah. it's it's very confusing because i don't think tolkien literally meant an eye but that's no. how we all see it because of peter jackson peter jackson turned into a literal burning eye on a tower yeah i don't think tolkien <laughs> intended i think he was just like his gaze is so strong that it was like the burning eye of Sauron. But it wasn't a literal eye. But you know what? It's a popular imagery at this point, And it worked. I know. Yeah. You just can't. You can't get it out of your head. All that happened. Bummer. Um, it mentions <laughs> that like for from now on, they don't necessarily talk about Numenor. They, they like they don't use that word anymore to describe it. They use... Um, Whenever they speak about it, they speak of Akalabeth the Downfallen, Atalante, that sounded so American, oh my gosh, (laughs) Atalante in the Eldaran tongue. Okay, yeah, so when they speak about, when they tell this story, they they talk about it in terms of, um, in terms of like, this great tragedy kind of kind of mm-hmm. like how when we talk about the titanic we talk about the like it could have been when when the titanic first like set out it was like oh this is the biggest ship it's so cool it's doing things ships have never done before could have been a really triumphant story but now when people bring up the titanic it's only in reference to this terrible tragedy mm-hmm. and then yeah and then it describes how like oh the world is round now um and honestly this is just a long string of paragraphs that for some reason in my text is in a smaller font yeah i guess like it's a a story within a story yeah it's like an epilogue sort of situation it's like and then this is the rest of it i i know the uh, audience can't see this but i just want to show you in the in the copy of i have in the new um illustrated edition um, oh that's right yeah the the fancy schmancy one that just came out yeah it's got this it's a numenorian carpet that tolkien designed (gasps) And this is Tolkien's oh, own drawing. I was going to say, it looks like, yeah, it looks like a tapestry or a rug or something. Yeah, That's so cool. this is another one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And That's just, so like, cool. When I read the words of, like, you know, and their art and things woven and, like, crafted that were lost, I'm just like, this is what was lost. Yeah. It was spectacular. All that was lost. Gone. Yeah. 
Very cool, man. So, however, sometimes I'm like, Tolkien, did you have any other hobbies? <laughs> Basically, no, for 50 years. He's like, no, I have to draw this rug that <laughs> this this destroyed kingdom would have created. Mm-hmm. He had a whole job at like Oxford as a professor, but he's just like, no, I'm going to draw some carpets. Yeah, he's like, this is more fun for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with um, the Akalabath or anything that I might have missed or something worth mentioning? No, I think we hit uh, yeah the big points. That there's it's for me what strikes me a lot about the Akalabath is one the tragedy of it. Um, mm. Of that by the end it was inevitable. It was going to happen. You know, like once Farazon took power, things were gone. But at the beginning, like. It wasn't inevitable. It was just like a slow step of like king after king making things worse and worse and worse. Um, yeah, so the tragedy of it. And also just like at the end, even though it is terrible what happens, like the imagery is so cool. Like a, the imagery of a thousand Numenorean ships sailing to Valinor and like yeah. eagles arrayed upon eagles. And like as far as the eye could see, eagles in the sky, you know, casting down thunder and lightning. Like That imagery is incredible. Yeah. I like like reading this. I naturally I was like, oh man, I can't wait to see this in Rings of Power, but I don't know if they can. So I guess we'll we'll have to see like what they have rights to in the mm-hmm. coming years. Yeah. Um. I think if the if the Tolkien estate was smart, that they would just give them rights to this so that they can play it out you know mm-hmm. exactly how the destruction and the downfall you know the last battle plays mm-hmm. out because it's so it, it, i mean it's it's of biblical proportions mm-hmm. um because you know the silmarillion essentially is tolkien's middle earth bible mm-hmm. so yeah. it would be really cool to to get to see someone produce this uh in a cinematic scale because i think it would make for just like so so cool like anything like like on a you know avengers end game kind of a level mm-hmm. of cinema <laughs> yeah it's epic television but i think that one scene of like the wave coming over numenor um when miriel had that vision i was like i saw that and i was like oh, yeah. okay so there's potential here so the ending is like that but with more eagles it's darker and bigger <laughs> probably much worse yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I want this but worse like make it bigger yeah. and even more epic. Yes, yeah. we see like I I'm just seeing like this rift of the earth opening up and all of the ships like falling into it like mm-hmm. so cool, yeah. so cool. Yeah, next week again, um I decided that I'm going to split that section um into two parts. So next week listeners will read and talk about the first half of of the third age and the rings of power and then we will finish out the Silmarillion. <laughs> I think uh the week of of Thanksgiving for the Americans out there. Um and then after that, I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to see, but <laughs> unfinished tales. I'm so close to finishing this and I It's an achievement. I cannot I, wait. I I do congratulate you. It, it is an achievement, <laughs> finishing the Silmarillion and like going through it properly rather than just like reading it for the sake of reading it, but like reading it properly. It is an achievement. I'm I'm flattered that you say that I'm reading it properly because <laughs> there's a lot of times where I'm like, I don't know what I'm reading. Let me just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the effort. It's it's definitely in a couple of, couple of years, if you feel up to it, go through it and read it again with the knowledge of, with like vague idea of what's happening. 
and then you'll pick That's up even true, more. That's yeah. true, yeah. I'll, I'll be, theoretically, I'll be smarter than, <laughs> <laughs> or I'll have forgotten everything and I'll just be starting out at, at square one mm-hmm. all over. Well, Annex, thank you so much for joining me and coming back on. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I am on TikTok as um, at Fantasy, well, Fantasy Annex, which is my display name, or just like my username is at Annex Wilson. Uh, A-N-E-X and Wilson. Um, yeah, mainly. And Twitter, if it's still existing in like a week, I'm on there as well. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's mainly those places. Um, yeah, Twitter existing. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah, I've been contemplating. I'm like, should I not be on this platform anymore? So I I'm guess just enjoying we'll see it. what happens. I'm just enjoying his downfall. Whatever is going to happen, I'm just enjoying watching yeah. it happening. It's yeah. kind of like we're we're the the faithful and yeah. we're watching the downfall of Numenor, except mm-hmm. it's except Elon Musk is Farazon. Yes, <laughs> that is that is actually a very good analogy for this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash TolkienAboutPod. You can find the podcast on social media at TolkienAboutPod. And you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsUp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. I'll be sending out a little surprise, and I literally mean a little surprise. It's not anything to, you know, what do they say? It's not anything to write home about. That's the phrasing. Anyway, I'll be doing a little something for all of my wonderful patrons in the month of December for the holidays and the end of the year to celebrate all of that. So that's coming up. If you want to be a part of that, become a patron. You can join at any level tier. All of it means so much to me. Or if you want to join a specific level, you can join the sponsor tier like Alan. Alan, thank you so much for your support of the podcast. You've been a a supporter for a while now, and that does not go unnoticed by me. Um, And I, I thank you so much. That really is wonderful of you. And by the way, if any of those links or social media handles sounded mixed up to you or I slurred them or you just had no idea what I was saying, all of that is always linked in the episode description if you're ever confused about where to find the Instagram page or where to follow me on TikTok. Actually, I think I need to link my TikTok in the episode description, so I will do that. If you want to get artwork done by Vaishan. His stuff is linked in the episode description. So if you're ever confused about what did she say, go check the episode description. It's a pretty cool place to to peruse. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thanks for having me on and enjoy the next chapter of the Rings of Power, which is basically a story that we know uh, told in like 30 pages because you'll find out how the story of Lord of the Rings is actually the smallest part of the history of Middle-earth and the least relevant part. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, that blows my mind constantly. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm.